and good morning Facebook. This is Barney Cohen and I'm broadcasting in a group called Double Your Sales with Barney Cohen. I do this every day of the week, but on Saturdays I do something called Barney's Business Basics. Uh, I am going to take you step by step through my version of what you need to run a business. There will be a hundred or so chapters and so we're on chapter seven. I'm going to do one a week for a while. Uh, I've been giving some thought as to maybe doing uh, two a week, but right now it's one a week. So uh, here we go with Barney's Business Basics number seven, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We're in a little chapter about the history of business. Uh, in uh, Business Basics number five, I uh, talked about the history of trade and commerce, commerce and marketplaces, uh, particularly focusing on the movement of goods and services. The, uh, the sixth business basics was uh, an exploration of money and credit, uh, banks, finance, um, accounting, all the stuff you need to get payment and to keep track of all of these business transactions. So today in uh, business basics number seven, I'm going to start the, uh, the, the, what I'll call a history of business from the standpoint of the structure of business, the way businesses are put together. Uh, it's going to be a ramble, a little bit of a ramble, and it's going to be a very quick step through history. So uh, we're only going to just barely scratch the surface. I'm going to try to uh, make it interestingly interesting enough for you so that uh, you will want to go and read about some of this stuff. Um, it, all through history, the structure of business has been uh, determined by what was going on at the time. And there have been influences from uh, the land and from uh, the weather and from families and from governments and from religious institutions. And all of these things have shaped the structure of business. So going back in time, uh, we know that uh, there was a lot of barter going on, people trading things back and forth. And uh, when you, if you were uh, nomadic and you could only move as far as your feet would take you, uh, the likelihood is that you'd be bartering with either members of your own tribe or members of a neighboring tribe, and you didn't go very far afield. And um, so trade was limited to your own little world. And that began to change when around somewhere around uh, 7,000 BC or say 10,000 years ago, people started uh, congregating uh, in agrarian societies and staying put instead of moving around uh, for game and, and whatever they foraged to eat, uh, people started staying in one place and growing food. And that really changed the ball game for uh, humanity and we've been on a course ever since uh, to have an ever-widening circle of trade and commerce. Uh, once we settled into one place, there was a need to do some things we had never done before. There were issues of ownership, who owned what. There were issues of contracts. Uh, there was a, a need for uh, people to keep track of, of stuff. Not only uh, a contract would be, I promised you something, I'm going to deliver it at such and such a point but also just keep track of how much there was. And so uh, all these things slowly gave rise, these needs slowly gave rise to an order, a group of people who would concentrate on uh, doing these things. And I'm gonna move quickly so that I don't take up you know two or three hours 
And I would like to emphasize that I am not an academic and everything I've learned I've gotten from reading and talking to people, some of whom are very knowledgeable, uh, but I'm not an academic and I may make some uh, uh, what, what an academic uh, would call errors. I think the main error I'm going to make is I'm going to be going quickly over stuff uh, just to keep the story interesting. But let's fast forward all the way to the time when we figured out that it was a lot easier to move stuff around by boat than it was um, uh, by walking or putting it on the back of an animal. And uh, and that's when uh, everything started to, to uh, 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 heat up in terms of the the story. The first big sea power were the Phoenicians. Uh, they came up around 1000 BC, uh, so that's 1000 years before the years of Christ. Uh, and they were the ones who turned the Mediterranean into uh, a, a one area. It became their pond. They traded all over the Mediterranean. Didn't happen overnight. It took many hundreds of years. Uh, but it raised it, it raised an issue that uh, was new for people in commerce, and that is, hey, if we're going to build a boat, and um, and um, and uh, and go to the expense of building a boat and then stocking it with things that we need to stock it with, uh, we need to have uh, people who will take that risk, and that's uh, something that uh, you will see over and over again in the history of business is the the, the risks and the rewards of ownership. All through history, what we see is that one of the risks of ownership is that if you couldn't pay your debts, if you promised somebody something and you couldn't pay it off, um, then the penalties were severe. And when I mean severe, I'm talking about the, the lightest thing that would happen to you would be uh, indentured servitude for all of your life uh, or imprisonment and or imprisonment and or death. It could be all three of those things. And uh, and in many societies, debts would not be forgiven by your death. If you died, a debt would be carried over to your heirs. And so your sons and daughters would be responsible for your debts as well. And if you couldn't pay uh, and you went to your death, then the authorities would come after your sons and daughters and ask them to pay and uh, presumably give them the same harsh treatment that they were giving to you. So uh, people started coming up with ways to spread the risk around. And so in the very uh, beginning of these, this shipbuilding period, uh, we see all kinds of arrangements for uh, ways to spread out the risk of owning a boat and putting a boat to sea. And I'm going to leave it at that, uh, just again for the sake of time. But I find the Phoenician period fascinating. I was um, I was in Spain uh, a little more than a year ago, and I went to Cartagena, which is uh, was a Phoenician town originally um, uh, on the southeast corner of Spain, uh, and they had a museum there uh, which featured two Phoenician ships, which were brought up intact in the last 25 or 30 years. Uh, from the bottom of the sea, and it yielded a treasure trove of the stuff that Phoenicians needed to trade. And uh, uh, I just found the museum fascinating. I only spent a couple hours there, and I wish I could have spent more. And I have it in my head that I'm going to go back to Cartagena and go to this wonderful museum. My hats are off to the Spanish people, uh, the, the government and, and the local people there, who have put together this phenomenal maritime museum in Cartagena, Spain. Um, let's fast forward now another oh five or seven hundred years, and we'll come up to the time of the Greeks. 
Uh, the main thing that the Greeks introduced into the business structure or business organization was the rule of law. They felt that uh, there needed to be some standardization, and if they were going to resolve conflicts or, or deal with all the issues that came uh, around ownership, that it should be done by uh, people um, uh, uh, listening to each other's stories and weighing in on them as opposed to all the rules being made by the whim of a king or whoever was in charge. And uh, that changed the process by which we, we looked at disputes and the way things got done. So it affected everything from risk and ownership uh, out to contracts, disputes, and everything in between. Um, slowly, 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 businesses became an extension of the state. And if we move forward to Roman times, you'll see that um, the biggest business of the time were the tax collecting businesses. Uh, and this is the first time when uh, the use of the word uh, company appeared uh, at all. These, these were often affairs. Again, uh, if you had a large area to collect taxes in and the state asked you to be the tax collector for an area, uh, the risk of not doing it right was a severe penalty, uh, probably your death. And, um, and so uh, tax collectors would want to spread their risk out. And this, uh, what they did by asking other people to put up some of their wealth as a bond or as a way of making sure that the state got its money. So I'm assuming that in lean years, tax collectors could take some of this bond and use it to pay the state because I, I think the tax collectors assured the state that they would get at least a, a certain amount. And so uh, this was the way Rome did business and um, uh, these large um, enterprises that collected taxes were generally family affairs. You know, it, was a, it was a business where you went out and, and collected money. You had to absolutely trust the other people who were in the enterprise. And so uh, um, uh, this, this enterprise was often a family affair because you would trust your, your family members. And uh, the word company is a Latin word, or it comes from two Latin words, meaning bread and with. And the idea is that uh, these are people you bring bread with, so a company would be a family enterprise. And uh, uh, the, the, the term wasn't commonly used at the time, it just, um, it, it was used here and there. And we don't see the introduction of the word company uh, on a regular basis until quite a bit later, again in Italy, but uh, this, this concept of a business being a company and people working together for a, a common goal, it coalesced during uh, these um, uh, Roman times. And the reason why this concept is so important, it was the first time uh, in history where we had this sense that the company might be something different than an individual. That's a big deal. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the key things that we bring forward to today is that the interests of the company and the interests of the individual aren't always exactly the same. They're bound up with each other. The company should take care of the individuals. The individuals should contribute to the welfare of the company. But from the standpoint of politics and law, these were two separate entities. You would have people over here, individual people over here, and you have a company over there, and they might be treated separately. Um, after the fall of Rome, uh, you had the rise of religions, and we ushered in in Europe a, a, a dark ages. Uh, 
uh, a feudal society in which uh, everything took a hit and everything took a big step backwards. There was no organizing authority that could guarantee trade over a wide region. And so everyone sort of hunkered down and went back to ways that were earlier and there was a lot of distrust. Uh, trade took a big hit. Uh, during that time, if you're interested in the history of trade, you would look toward the Arab world, the Indian world, and the Chinese world to keep the story going of how things were traded and, and, and what goods moved back and forth. And there was much more trading going on in uh, the Middle East and the Far East than there was in Europe. But the rise of Christianity had one huge impact on the way we did business, and that was the Christians introduced the concept of morality, religious morality into business. And uh, the going belief was that handling money and, and trading was unclean. And uh, you did not do that. Um, the, this was one of the ways that Christians distinguished themselves from Muslims. Um, uh, Muhammad was a traitor. Many Muslims were a traitor. There wasn't much else they could do. They grew up in arid countries that um, had only sand, uh, and, and most, most of the way they could earn a living would be to gather something like dates or palm trees or whatever and move them around. And they, they, uh, a lot of uh, Muslim people, a lot of the Arabs became traitors. And that's not traitor, that's trader, <laughs> T-R-A-D-E-R. And, um, uh, and uh, the... The uh, Muslims f frequently traded in the Christian world, uh, uh, but when the Christians decided to go to war against the Muslims uh, in the Crusades, uh, one of the ways they distinguished themselves um, from the Muslims is that they wouldn't handle m money and they wouldn't do any trading. And so in the West, uh, what we see is uh, the rise of a merchant class. In the beginning, they were outlaws. They were people who were not part of the regular society. They were either Muslims or Jews. And the Muslims and the Jews handled money and handled trading and became merchants. And so you, you have the beginning of a merchant class. And that went on for a long time from the five, six hundreds all the way to what we call the Renaissance, and these things didn't happen like overnight, like snap your fingers and all of a sudden the Renaissance is there. Uh, all these things happened slowly and bubbled up over time, and you can see the beginnings of the Renaissance uh, in uh, the year 1000 and 1100. Uh, but the Renaissance came into full flower around the 1300s in Italy, and uh, all of a sudden you saw these, these, uh, the emergence of these city-states that uh, became um, merchant city-states. Uh, the famous ones were Genoa and Florence and Venice. Um, Naples was a big uh, uh, city-state. And uh, they generally uh, sent their ships out and, um, and traded, and this was the way they built their uh, empire. And this is the first time that we see the word company being used. Uh, uh, the, the dominant form of business in these city-states was the family firm, and uh, there were rules about who could have a family firm and who couldn't have a family firm, and the ruling class of these city-states were people that came from these family firms. 
Um, so it was definitely an elite group, but it wasn't a royal group. In other words, this wasn't these weren't kings. These were people who came from um, uh, regular families. They were regular wealthy landed families, but they were not royal families. And uh, one of the uh, big things that they uh, did is they they uh, spread this risk of ownership out. And so uh, companies, as they were uh, practiced in Renaissance Italy, um, were were um, were uh, would take upon an endeavor uh, jointly, and uh, and they would split up the rewards of that endeavor jointly. The penalty for a, a, a bankruptcy was still severe, uh, uh, and uh, and so um, uh, people generally didn't take risks. They they couldn't afford, and they were very careful to hedge their bets. Uh, and this is where uh, banks came in. And um, uh, the the interesting thing to me was that this all happened uh, in uh, Christian Italy. And uh, by this time, maybe after 800 years of dark ages, the Christian church came to the conclusion that they would do a little wink, wink, and nod, nod, and allow uh, some Christian families to do some kind of trading and some kind of banking. Uh, the word bank came from uh, the Italian word banco, which is bench. Uh, and uh, even there, I think you see a little of the, of the morality of the times. A bench is something you had outside the house. Um, so I can imagine uh, that uh, the trading that was done in what we now call a bank was done on a bench outside of a house. And uh, there, there was probably a morality that said, well, you can do that outside, but you can't do that inside. Sort of like your mom saying, you know, hey, take it outside. You don't do that in the house. Uh, and I think there was some of that uh, feeling uh, in Renaissance Italy about, uh, about uh, exchanging money for goods and services. Often there was a tremendous amount of subterfuge. There was a lot of... Um, of of, 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 of taking the the uh, the payment of your uh, trading efforts in things that weren't money as a way of avoiding the appearance of handling money. So they, they, they would trade in things other than money, uh, jewels and precious metals and things like that uh, as a way of avoiding handling money itself. Um, the, the, the people in Northern Europe weren't entirely silent on co contributing to the structure of business during this time. They gave us two really important uh, structures as well. The first was the guilds that grew up in, I think, Germany and Scandinavia. Uh, and these were loose associations of people who had a common interest. Um, they uh, were, were good for the people inside of them in that they produced some collective bargaining, uh, which gave power to a group of people. So if you were a regular old person and you met the rules of the guild and you paid your dues, you served your apprenticeship and you were a good guy or a good gal, I think it was mostly men in these things, um, uh, you had access to more bargaining power and you had the chance of getting more than you had before. And, and then the other big thing that um, Northern Europe um, gave to the world of business was what we call the chartered corporation. A chartered corporation 
is something that was chartered or licensed by the crown and it was for the purpose of doing business in a certain area. The crown, of course, was using these chartered corporations to raise money. Uh, kings like to fight wars and they like to live extravagant lifestyles, so they had to raise a lot of money and uh, they, would, they would give an exclusive charter to some person or group in exchange for which that person or group would give them a lot of stuff, uh, you know, the kind of stuff they wanted to run their empire. Uh, uh, some of the oldest companies that are still in existence uh, come from this period of time. One of the oldest would be the charter, would be the city of London. And this concept of chartering is what gave us universities and towns uh, and uh, all the other things that began to emerge in the late Middle Ages and the Renaissance time. So that gets us up to about 1500, and I'm going to stop because uh, I'm trying to keep these to approximately 15 minutes, and I'm going to cut the history of business up into two parts. Uh, we'll, we'll explore the second part next week. The second part uh, gave rise to some of the most interesting companies in the history of the world, the trading companies from England and Holland and other uh, Northern European uh, countries, and uh, gave rise to probably the most uh, important invention in the history of business, uh, which we will talk about next week. So uh, in my uh, section number eight, I'll continue this history of business. Again, I'm not doing a deep dive. I'm doing just a real scratching of the surface just to give you an idea of the, of the, of the story and the breadth of the story. The important thing here, uh, the, the important takeaway is that uh, over time, from the time of uh, first recorded history to today, everything we've done as it relates to business has been an ever expanding of the pie, expanding of the geographic area we do business in, expanding of the kind of things we trade, uh, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So it must be something that people like. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep doing it. Uh, thanks for listening today, and I will see you next Saturday with my installment number eight. Uh, and I come to you every day, alive at nine in the morning with Double Your Sales with Barney Cohen.